Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, one of our substitute teaching leaders, Jacob Wearson, will be discussing Genesis chapters 34, 35, and 36. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. That's bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 34, and join Jacob as he shares truths from God's Word. Well, hello again. It is an honor to be with you and to be sharing God's Word with you uh, in our BSF lecture. Uh, and, you know, this is a tough subject, actually, that we're going to be talking about today. It's a, it's a tough passage of Scripture, mainly in Genesis 34, but the whole, I think the whole group of these uh, chapters is tough as a whole. And, um, you know, the last few messages that I've shared in our BSF lectures have been messages about God's grace, about His faithfulness, you know, and we're certainly going to be talking about that. Um, but we're also going to be talking about a tough subject today, and that is the topic of sin, the reality of sin. Uh, sin, put plainly, is rebellion against God, our Creator, and it separates us from Him. And that is a heavy message, um, you know, because we're going to be encountering the worst that humanity has to offer in the passage that we study this week. And the truth of the matter is, is that the Bible just doesn't speak about the sin around us, but also the sin that lies within our own hearts. And that is a very difficult reality to come to grips with. Um, but I think as we're overwhelmed with this subject of sin, with the reality of sin and its consequences, I think we also have to be overwhelmed by God's faithfulness, by his mercy, and by his redemption to undeserving sinners. And I'm sharing this with you to prepare you for that difficult journey that we're about to go on in Genesis chapters 34, 35, and 36. Uh, yes, we're going to be talking about sin, and we're going to be talking about sin's reality, but we're also going to be talking about King Jesus, who has defeated sin and death once and for all. So I think the big idea for us today, as we study these three chapters, is going to be this. It's that though sin and evil parade through this world, we declare with confidence that Christ reigns victorious. I'm going to say that again. Though sin and evil parade through this world, we declare with confidence that Christ reigns victorious. So our lecture outline uh, today is split up by these three chapters that we studied. Uh, the first uh, division is going to be Genesis chapter 34, and that's falling into sin. Uh, the second division is going to be Genesis chapter 35, burying sin, and then Genesis chapter 36, sin and separation. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in to chapter 34. Heavenly Father, this is a tough subject and a tough passage of scripture that we come across. Lord, the brokenness and the sin around and within us uh, overwhelms us, God, and it causes us sometimes to despair and discouragement. But Lord, we know that we are not to go down the road of discouragement because your son has defeated sin and death once and for all. Lord, may we remember and look to Jesus as we discuss these tough uh, passages. May we remember the reality of the victorious king the victorious and risen King. And Lord, may your words uh, come across plainly, Lord. Would you open our hearts to what you have for us uh, as we study your scripture today? And it's in your son's great name that we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 34. Let's get our Bibles out and let's dive right in. And, and when we're reading this first chapter here, 
of Genesis chapter 34, I think there is a theme that is going to be important for us to remember as we read through Genesis 34. And that's this, that there are lots uh, lots of uneasy questions that we ask in this chapter. And a lot of those uneasy, difficult questions are going to be left unanswered. That's the reality. Lots of uneasy questions that are often left unanswered. And another idea that I think that's important to remember is that these passages are going to remind us of the depravity and utter wickedness of the human heart. And the context of chapter 34 is this, right? Jacob is in Shechem. And I think the first question that I have is why is Jacob in Shechem? And we know how we got there from Genesis chapter 33, but why? Why is he not in Bethel, for example, where he ends up in Genesis chapter 35? Uh, There's not really a clear answer to this question, and one has to guess that if Jacob was in in, uh, Bethel rather than in Shechem, that the events of chapter 34 could have been avoided. But again, it's a question that I have, maybe you have, and there's no real clear answer that we have there. Um, But in these opening verses of chapter 34, we are introduced to Jacob's daughter, Dinah. Now, Dinah goes out to visit the women of the land, and immediately we are confronted with this horrid sin that the son of Hamor, Shechem, commits against Dinah. And Shechem violates, he rapes Dinah. And in Shechem's greed and lust and pride, he actually tells his father about this horrible incident. And he tells his dad that he wants Dinah as a wife, just a total example of his greed and lust. And, you know, when Jacob hears about this, I think we expect him to explode in fury and rage and anger, Um, but rather he stays quiet about it. He waits until his sons come home from the fields. And here are some more questions that I have, uneasy questions that I have about this. First of all, why was Jacob so quiet and seemingly calm about this situation? Why didn't Jacob do more to protect his daughter? Why didn't he immediately stand up and fight back? Um, Now, we're going to talk about in a moment the bad response that Jacob's sons had to the situation, but still, those questions are there, and they're left unanswered. We have no direct answers to these questions. But what a strike contrast, right? Let's get into that. I mean, what are Jacob's responses? So, after Jacob's sons come out, uh, come out from the fields and they hear about the awful uh, way that uh, their sister was treated. They have a very understandable response. They're filled with grief and fury. And part of me wishes Jacob would have had that response too. Uh, we don't know specifically. We just don't know um, why Jacob was so quiet about this. But I think there's a few important things that we need to note about this wicked and heartbreaking situation. First and foremost, Dinah was a completely innocent victim, right? She did not deserve what happened to her. And the scriptures are clear that this sin of rape and sexual immorality is not right. Verse 2 actually describes it as a violation, which it is. It's an absolute violation. And verse 7 calls it out as something that is totally wrong. Uh, Jesus declares, we know from the scripture and from the New Testament, in Matthew 5.28, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this isn't only just lust. This is lust on display. This is lust acted out. This is sexual immorality in one of its worst forms. 
See, we learned in Genesis, right, chapter 1, verse 26, that God made mankind in his image and likeness, that God's very dignity is upon each one of us. And sexual sin is a direct and gross violation of the sacredness of our bodies and the value that God has bestowed on us. See, sexual sin is a different sin because it is a violation of someone's core and basic humanity. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.18, he took notice of this, and he says to flee from sexual immorality because every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Sexual sin is done, is a violation of our very own image and likeness. It strikes to the core of who we are. And that's what makes this sin so awful and abhorrent. And unfortunately, this situation in chapter 34 gets worse, right? Hamar bizarrely tries to persuade Jacob's sons to intermarry with his daughters in this weird trade, right? Which, by the way, is a violation of God's command to his chosen people um, who are not to intermarry uh, with people who do not serve and worship the one true God. Um, But we see Jacob's sons deceive and they they devise a plan. So let's read in chapter, in verses 14 through 16 of chapter 34. So we start in verse 14 that says, they say to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will give our consent to you on one condition only that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you to our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. And of course, um, Jacob's sons were being deceiving here, and this was not their intention. It was a, it was a, we'll talk about this in a moment. It was not a great situation anyways, but um, in their deception and in their planning, we know that they don't go through on what they tell uh, Hamor and Shechem, but instead, uh, um, Levi and Simeon with uh, go to Hamor and Shechem and the fellow townsmen, and while they're recovering from their circumcisions, they kill every male in the town. Um, and it is this sense of cold-blooded murder Um, And it's terrible, and it is out of a reaction of the way that their sister was treated. And there are several sins that we need to take note that we see on display in this chapter. We see, of course, the sexual immorality in this horrendous act against Dinah. We see this anger that turns revenge into cold-blooded murder by Jacob's sons. Uh, We even see blasphemy against God, right? As circumcision, which is an outward sign of God's covenant to his people, is turned into this um, nefarious and vengeful purpose by Jacob's sons. Circumcision was used in, the, in, in deception in this experience. And then, we, of course, we saw the greed and the lust of Shechem and of Hamar. So I think this leads to our first troubling principle, and that is this, that when left to our own devices, humanity's depravity is on full display. When left to our own devices, humanity's depravity is on full display. Now, I think there are a lot of things that leave us scratching our heads in this passage. One of the biggest questions, again, for me is where is Jacob's fatherly leadership in all of this, right? Where is his anger and outrage? Where is his his interaction with his sons and how best to handle this awful and broken situation? Uh, Where is his willingness to defend and rescue Dinah from the hands of evil, greedy, lustful men? We don't get these clear answers in this passage. Uh, 
Uh, we, I think we have to remember too that the Bible is a real book, right? It's a real book with a real account of what actually happened. It does not sugarcoat us humans and our actions. And even the great people of the faith, like Jacob, it shows um, the raw character of mankind. And we know that oftentimes people's decisions and character leave us feeling baffled and confused. And I think that's where it leaves me after reading chapter 34. And I think we still need to wrestle with the tough spiritual truths that are evident here. Uh, We know from Jeremiah uh, 17 verse 9, we've heard this verse a lot, but it still rings true, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Romans 1 puts it plainly. For although they knew, and they being uh, humanity, mankind, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And this last verse hits so hard uh, to the heart, and that's this. The human heart is sinful. We are wicked at the core. Ah, this is a troubling reality. And when we look at the world around us, we can't help to see that this is true. Right? We know that sexual immorality is rampant. We see this in sexual harassment, in rape, in the pornographic culture that we live in, in the various sexual expressions that are now celebrated by our culture. Uh, what breaks our hearts even more is that we can see even in our, even the leaders in our church who are exposed of committing some of the very sins we just talked about. Uh, we see the realities of injustice of racism, of oppression of the weak and the marginalized, murder of the unborn and those outside of the womb which flash across our headlines daily. We see revenge played out. We see greed and we see the blasphemy that surrounds our culture. And we share the cry of Jeremiah chapter 12. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous thrive? But you know, this isn't just about the sin that's outside of us. It's the sin that lies within us. Look, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So where can we go to find reprieve from the evil that's all around us and in our own hearts? Where do we see true justice? But we also need to see mercy and redemption. We desperately need redemption. And we know that the answers to those questions are found at the cross of Christ, because at the cross, you have justice. God places the sin of the world on his perfect, spotless son. We have mercy as Christ takes that punishment that we deserved, and he takes it upon himself. See, sin was dealt with at the cross. It did not go unpunished, but instead of going to us, it went to Jesus Christ. And we also see in the empty tomb, in his resurrection, we learn and we discover gloriously that there is a victory over sin and death, that there is true freedom and that there is promise of restoration for this broken world in the future to come. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment and we're going to get specific and we're going to get personal. Um, But I think let's move on uh, first to Genesis 
chapter 35, as we see Jacob's family bearing their sin. Um, So with those realities in mind, and with the debacle that we saw take place in Genesis chapter 34, in the opening verses of chapter 35, God is speaking to Jacob. And God says in verse 1, to go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. And that harkens back to Jacob's ladder from a few chapters ago. And I think it's safe to say that if Jacob had been in Bethel this entire time, perhaps he would have avoided the terrible circumstances of this last chapter. And while Jacob remains silent uh, in Genesis chapter 34, we see a shift in his actions in these opening verses, right? As he calls his family to repent and to bury their idols. And in this moment, we also see that God reveals himself to Jacob once again. And let's read verses 10 through 12 of Genesis chapter 35. And verse 10 says this, God said to him, meaning Jacob, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So we named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. We continually see that despite man's great unfaithfulness, God remains faithful and true to his promises. But still, we are seeing the decay and the mournful experiences of our fallen world in chapter 35, right? Jacob experiences heartache in these circumstances. Uh, Rebecca's longtime nurse, Deborah, dies. Rachel dies in childbirth. How heartbreaking. And then on top of that, his dad, Isaac, dies. And we see a moment at the end of chapter 35 where Esau and Jacob are briefly reunited to bury Abraham. And sadly, we also see Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, continuing to sin as he sleeps with his father's concubine. So more depravity, more decay, more experiences of this fallen and broken world that we live in. I think all of this leads to the second principle that we have, which is that sin requires repentance and cleansing. Sin requires repentance and cleansing. See, scripture is clear. Every heart has been tainted by sin. All of us singing guilty before a perfect and holy God. However, the call of the gospel is this, to repent of your sins. Repent means to turn away and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Romans ten thirteen says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And for those of us who claim the name of Christ, for those who have already come to him in faith, a reality for us is that we still struggle with sin, right? Spoiler alert, even after you've been saved, we actually still sin. And we hate to admit it, but even as believers, we struggle with daily temptations and perhaps sins that have been with us for many years. Uh, and maybe you're listening to this, to this today and you're struggling with a certain sin. Perhaps it's an habitual sin, or maybe it's even an addiction, Uh, I want you to hear this loud and clear that as believers, we have the ultimate power to overcome sin in our lives because of Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear these words plainly in Romans 8 verses 1 through 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, no condemnation. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
Now, if we are found in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us now to overcome our temptations. And when we do sin, and I say when and not if, when we do sin, we can come to the Father, not with fear and trembling, but because of Christ with confidence that we have full forgiveness. We remember that beautiful verse from 1 John that states that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I ask you this question, what do you bring to the table today as you're listening to me talk about this? Are you struggling with it with a habitual sin or maybe even addiction? Sins that you thought by now you'd be rid of? Or are you do the broken moments of the past and the sins that you've committed in the past even before you became a Christian, do those come to mind? Does shame and brokenness often come to the forefront of your memory. Can I say that if you're struggling with those things today, that Romans 8 verses 1 through 2 remain just as true for you in these moments? And that as we bring this brokenness, do you hear the call of God that is loud and clear to all of us to bury all of our sin, to bury our shame, to bury the broken experiences of the past, just like Jacob and his family buried their worthless idols. See, the only thing that I can do for you today is to point you back to Jesus Christ. Because when we run to Jesus in him, we find true satisfaction. We find peace for our souls and something that, and that is something that our sin, that our past, that our broken experiences could never possibly give us. We find those in Jesus Christ. So before we conclude uh, and find some application here, let's move on here to our final chapter and our final division, Genesis chapter 36. And in Genesis chapter 36, we are seeing uh, an overview of Esau's descendants in the kingdom of Edom. Uh, And sometimes we read these genealogies and the list of descendants and we can gloss over them. But I think there's some things that we can note from chapter 36. Uh, So there's no doubt that Edom was prosperous. This kingdom of Edom was prosperous. They continued uh, to multiply in offspring and descendants. But I think we still have to note that Esau's life was marked in strike contrast to Jacob's. Uh, So, yes, we know that Jacob continually fails and messes up and he sins and he makes poor choices, but Jacob followed after the Lord. He sought after God. Esau did not. Uh, If you read in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews talks about uh, Esau despising his birthright and that poor choice in, in following after his own will and his own desires rather than following after the Lord God. And as a matter of fact, all of Esau's descendants and Esau's family started in sin, right? We know that Esau deliberately married Canaanite women in opposition to God and in opposition to his parents' wishes. See, Esau was swept up in the culture of the day. But And Jacob, yes, though he sinned and though he fell short many, many times, ultimately walked with the Lord. So I think the principle that we can learn from this section is that while God's people live in the world, we are not to be distinct from it. While God's people live in the world, we are to be distinct from it. See, the fact of the matter is that once that we have come uh, from darkness to light, from death 
to life in Christ. We have this new identity. The old is gone and the new has come. We let go of our past and of our sin because we are now found in Christ. And can I say briefly that this call is open to those of you who don't even believe in Jesus. Maybe you're listening to this day and you listen to this today and you know that you have not come to Christ in faith. Can I just say that the free gift of eternal life stands open and ready for you to receive? If you only come to Jesus now, confess your sin and trust in him salvation, you will be found. That is a glorious truth that stands true and And that gift is open for all who would come to him in faith. But as we conclude, I also want to mention uh, and hearken back to something that we've been talking about, which is the raw reality of sin that is in us, that is around us. And it is certainly a discouraging topic, and it's a discouraging subject, because sin abounds in our broken world, and we have so many unanswered questions, right? And I had several unanswered questions just in reading Genesis chapter 34. But you know what? The writers of the scriptures were like us. They also had questions. And maybe you have questions and burdens as you look at the injustices and the sin that is happening all around us, and you just don't know where to go. But the writers also had questions too, like us, and they didn't always receive a clear answer. And I think this is most prevalent as we read the Psalms. And, you know, a few years ago, I was listening to a sermon from a pastor who was uh, talking about Psalm 13. And it's a great psalm. It's a deep psalm um, that really uh, touches on the struggles that we have as humanity with a lot of the questions that are often left unanswered. Um, And I think as we read this psalm, I want you to think about uh, maybe some of those questions that you have about um, sin and the injustice in the world, and maybe it's questions that you find unanswerable, and maybe they won't be answered in this life. But I want you to bring those questions and those burdens to the forefront. Maybe it's the sins that you're struggling with, the habitual sins, maybe the addictions that you thought you'd be rid of by now. Um, Maybe you are often haunted by the past and poor decisions that you made and the brokenness of your past life. Whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to do this strange thing. I want you to bring those to the forefront of your mind, but I want you to wash those thoughts and those questions and those burdens with the truth of the scripture. As I mentioned before, the only thing that I can do today is point you back to the scripture and ultimately back to Jesus Christ. So as we think about those difficult things that come to the forefront of our memory, let's read Psalm 13 and let's allow God's word to wash and renew our thoughts. And Psalm 13 goes like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Those are deep questions that the writer of this psalm has. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. 
but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Deep questions and not all those deep questions we find answers to. But I think when we are tempted to discouragement because of sin, both around us and within us, we need to turn to this truth of scripture. And as I mentioned, as I was listening to that pastor a few years ago, give this uh, sermon and discussion on Psalm 13, this pastor actually wrote a paraphrase and a summary of Psalm 13. And I had to write it down. And it's something that I've saved on my computer desktop. And it's something that I open up often, sometimes daily to just read when I am discouraged by what's going on around me or within me. And this paraphrase of this psalm that this pastor um, spoke in that sermon goes like this. And I want you to hear this again as we conclude today. I am going to trust in your steadfast love. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation You have saved me from sin's penalty. You have saved me from sin's power. One day, you will save me from sin's very presence. And boy, do we look forward to that moment. Therefore, I can sing. Therefore, I will sing. Can I just say those last two phrases uh, once again? Because I think it's just so good, especially with what we read this week. It goes like this again. One day you will save me from sin's very presence. And therefore I can sing. And therefore I will sing. Though sin and evil parade through this world, we declare with confidence that Christ reigns victorious. Let's preach this to ourselves. Let's preach this to one another. And let's share the glorious news of the gospel to those who don't yet believe. Let's pray. Lord, um, we come to you after reading a difficult portion of scripture. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that um, you are merciful in that you have preserved your word to learn from your word, to hear the truth, the harsh truth and reality of sin but God also to be reminded of the glorious truth and the good news of the gospel that is found in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that to all who listen to this today, Lord, that our hearts would not be hardened, that they would be open to this message. For those who don't yet trust in your son, that they would trust in him today. And for those of us who wrestle with sin and temptation as believers, God, that we would find rescue and power over that sin in your son, And Lord, that we would be reminded and we look forward to the day when you will make all things new. Lord, when we have those questions that we cannot answer on our own or that we don't find answers to in this life, Lord, may we bring those questions to you. It is in your son's mighty name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, May we be burdened by this reality of sin, but may we also be encouraged by the glorious news of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening and uh, take care. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF podcast. 
Join us next time on Zoom on Monday, March 15th at 7 p.m. Central Time as we discuss Genesis chapters 37 and 38. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.